from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You did it again. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. As always, this episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor and SAP and Acumatica Gold Partner, Stellar One Consulting. If your business is ready to move off QuickBooks, give us a ring, help us automate your business processes, get people out of Excel, and get your business to the next level. Shoot me an email, david at trekbytebiz.com, or go to stellaroneconsulting.com or stellarone.io, and let's get your business to the next level. Now, let's get back to today's episode. We're going to be chatting about the storage business. Uh, so who do we have today? None other than A.J. Osborne. A.J. Osborne is the CEO of Cedar Creek Capital, uh, the self-leading expert and voice in the self-storage industry with the number one best-selling book and top-rated and listened-to self-storage podcast. He has been featured on top of real estate podcasts and is the go-to resource for self self-storage investment advice across social media platforms, including YouTube. Accredited investors can find more information here at www.cedarcreekwealth.com. So, hey, without further ado, let's bring AJ right on in here. Business strategy. AJ, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Nice. Well, thank you for allowing me to be Shark Bait. Uh, this is a first for me. So. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Now, we have a traditional question we ask on the show. But the first thing, before I do that, I'm breaking my routine. What the heck is that behind you, that mask or whatever it is? Explain that to me. That is awesome. Yeah, that's Ernie. So Ernie is an Ineosaurus, uh, which is a relative to Triceratops. Um, they have a large frill on the back and then they have a big, huge horn that's curved in the front. And so, yeah, that's Ernie. Ernie. Nice to meet you, Ernie. So I guess we're doing an interview with AJ and Ernie. Ernie, Ernie. chime in anytime you want, my friend. (laughs) Don't be a fossil. Yeah, he he hasn't talked for like 85 million years. So Uh, there you go. There you go. There you go. So the tradition on the show, very first question we typically ask, What's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? How'd you get there? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes AJ and Ernie, AJ and Ernie. So yeah, I, I'm a self-storage nerd. Like, that sounds weird, but I, I um, originally did insurance, like group medical benefits. I own a lot of companies. So I own even a like tech company within the self-storage space. But um, I eventually got out of, self or, or insurance, right? Moved all into self-storage a uh, long time ago, but I've been doing it for like 15 plus years. So went through the great financial crisis, uh, everything else. But I teach people now about investing, entrepreneurship, building up businesses, right? How to scale. We have over 300 million in assets. Um, and I, uh, most people know me though, uh, due to the fact that um, I became paralyzed out of the blue. Uh, So that's how most people uh, know me. And I speak a lot on financial independence and education because I was actually fired from my job in the hospital after I'd become uh, paralyzed out of the blue. Hold on. on. How did you get paralyzed out of the blue? I mean, 
if you don't mind, I mean, that's something no, everybody's probably wondering right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I um, uh, it wasn't an accident. So it's something called Guillain-Barre. Yeah, GBS. Uh, my daughter yeah. actually got that. Uh, so yeah, no my daughter way. Had that. Yeah. You're kidding me. It is. It is very rare. But yes, my daughter had it. Let me ask you about. It. So I was on life support for four months. I was in like the top percentile. It was really bad. Um, so we didn't know if I was even going to come out of it. Uh, how old was your daughter? And was she, if you don't mind me asking, probably four or five at the time. And, uh, she would like instantly parts of her body. Like it could be a leg, could be hip, could be arms, a lot of pain. And it would like, it would just go paralyzed, you know, couldn't walk, things like that. And it was um, it was a tough time until because no one really knew what it was because GBS uh, syndrome is somewhat rare. Um, and, um, uh, you know, just because of how YouTube YouTube is, I can't say exactly how she got it. That's also the same with me. We can't say how I got it. Right. Exactly. So we have to play by YouTube rules and be quiet on that. But. Um, yeah, it, it was hard and it lasted for over six months. And even to this day, every now and then, like she kind of gets the feeling every now and then. And it's one of those things to where like, it's kind of gone, but it's kind of not gone. And there's a lot of things, you know, she can't do again with a specific issue that we can't talk about on YouTube, but, uh, uh, you know, some things that she can't do because of that situation. I'm sure you're probably the same way. Cause sounds like it's a similar issue. I'm shocked. First of all, I've never been on an interview with anyone that's ever known anyone that had GBS and it's your daughter. That's crazy. So. Yeah, I, I, um, my legs started work, work or stopped working out of the blue. I was in pain. Then um, I went, you know, I have four kids. My youngest was like uh, three months at the time of my four. And this was six years ago. And my uh, legs were in a lot of pain. So I got in the bathtub that night. And then when I went to get out, they didn't work. My wife took me to the hospital. Nobody could figure out what was going on. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. The paralysis got worse. And then they put me into a coma. And then they put me on life support, um, where I stayed on life support for months. And then uh, I eventually went to a rehabilitation center. And then they took me home in bed paralyzed. And uh, um, I've been coming back since. But I don't have full functions of my lower legs. So they have weakness, muscle spasm, my pain. Severe. It was like the most. Severe. Wow. So you got you had a severe case. I would put my daughter's probably probably mild to moderate, especially compared to yours. I mean, when you're a four year old, it's moderate, probably. But in realistic to how bad this can get, it was probably more mild. My mine was weird. It was crazy. It was off the charts. Right. So it's as bad as it gets. And it, it, uh, the thing, though, is I wasn't a kid. Like, I can't even imagine, first of all, with your daughter what you were going through more just and more or less what she was going through. That's not issues the children should have. It took a neurologist to figure it out. And then we went to the second one because the first neurologist is like, Oh, it's GBS. And, uh, you know, looking at her, her, the medical procedures, stuff like that she had done. And he's like, yep, GBS, hundred percent traditional symptoms. And, he did it so quick, we were suspicious. So we actually went to a second neurologist, got a second opinion, and same thing, GBS. Yeah, like for me, they couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I literally had a friend call my wife and was like, hey, didn't AJ go to the doctor and get those one things? 
And uh, she was like, yeah, what does that have to do with anything? I'm like, did you tell him? And she did. She's like, hey, AJ, two weeks ago, went and got those one things. And uh, they were like, what? And then immediately they were like, this is GBS. And that's the immediate. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's crazy. And this, that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast, because first off, almost every episode is like a masterclass. But you'll be surprised how many weird things I have in common with people that I've never met before in my life. And it's really cool, because it's kind of like, you know, yeah, we, we got something that in common that kind of just bonds, you know, gave us a bonding moment there, you know, so that's pretty cool. But anyway, so we got your story as far as uh, what happened being fired in the hospital bed, uh, which I, that's got to be just traumatic in in uh, in and of itself. Um, so what you do now is you're in the self-storage business, right? So I was in it early on, and that's what saved my financial life. Was it because of the TV show? What was it? Storage Wars or something? Storage Wars. No, that came along way after we got into it. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, we got into it in the early 2000s. And that's what, you know, I say saved my financial life because it did. Because if it wasn't for those cash flowing assets, um, I don't know what I would have done. My entire career was gone, right? I didn't know if we'd ever, we, we didn't know if I'd even walk. So all of a sudden it was like, I don't even know what I can do. This whole thing that I've done my whole life now is gone. And the only thing I really know. And so we'd been investing and building up a storage company on the side, which once again saved us because we had cash flowing investments. And so I obviously was very passionate and, uh, uh, while in the hospital, I'm like, hey, I should actually probably talk about this and teach people about this stuff. So I, and then we allowed investors to come with us, which was totally different. I'd never done that, which that's a crazy topic in itself. And I started up three companies out of my wheelchair and we started to go and take what we did. And I was like, I'm going to just double up on this and I'm going to go all in and I'm going to build out. And it kind of gave me a, a new sense of purpose, which I really need, obviously, uh, when I'd lost who I was and everything else. And so out of the wheelchair and as I was recovering, uh, that became my purpose. So I question I want to ask you, if you don't mind, um, you one of the things you said during your intro was about you teach companies how to grow and how to thrive and expand stuff like that. How much and I'm asking this because the regular viewers of the show know that I do ERP enterprise resource planning systems, uh, basically, for those that don't know what that is, that's back end management uh, software. So does your whole business from A to Z, it's basically the heart, soul uh, of your business mind of your business, and it's your single source of truth for the business. How often does that come into the conversation like, hey, dude, you got to get off Excel, you've got to get off QuickBooks, you need to actually upgrade and get like a proper ERP for your financial so that you know how much you're manufacturing or how much your distribution's costing you or things like that. Does that come up often in your discussions? Yeah, it's one of the first things that comes up. I mean, I, I built a huge company off the fact that I just bought people's uh, assets, storage facilities, which are businesses, they have employees, everything else. And I simply updated them and we use our tech stack. We put in um, property management systems that connect with everything from marketing to revenue management systems and that backend efficiencies to turn those assets around and have them make a lot more money. So that's 
how we built our company is we built out. Because that's what you're doing. I mean, be, a lot of people think that, you know, like if you go that automation route, like you're, you're, you're kind of uh, alluding to without directly saying with some of those things have having those efficiencies that it means that you're going to have less employees or put people out of jobs, but it's the furthest from the truth because it allows you to hire more people. And instead of having people fill out spreadsheets, double data entry, all that stuff, you're actually able to have them do profit driving activities instead. And that's one of the, like we view that we have two types of customers, sophisticated, meaning that they know what they're going through. They've done it before, either same company or another company. Uh, and then an unsophisticated customer, which is more of like a small biz type business where they're on QuickBooks. They've never done anything like this and they need to be educated. And that's where we kind of get into those deep conversations uh, as far as what the benefits are and then the ROI and all that stuff. So it's kind of cool to hear that it's one of the first things that you talk about with those, uh, you know, with those clients. Well, you know, and there's interesting fears and things around it because I'm like, this is the same fear that it had in the industrial revolution, same fear that they had in the computing age. The computers were going to take our jobs. The internet was going to take our jobs. We're at the lowest unemployment in the United States, chat GPT. Uh, we're the lowest unemployment in the United States we've ever seen. Like it's an actual problem. We have a labor crisis and we have more technology, including AI than we've ever had. And what, a, what technology does is it allows our jobs to be better. And it allows us to do more instead of working in mines and instead of doing bad, you know, like you look at Amazon shipping centers, you look at the um, actual train yards, you look at all that is all automated and systematic and being run right through processes. People are doing better work. They're doing higher ROI. They're making more impact in their own lives and the lives of the world. This is not like it's not like we just don't have jobs. We are humans and we create, we actually create jobs. And every time technology, anything like that has been introduced, it actually magnified how much we make and also how much we are able to do. And so it's that, that that's never taken away. It does amplify because you are able to do so much more. So let, let's get back on your topics instead of my time. Well, this is kind of your topic too, but um, you know, let's get back as far as the storage unit start stuff. How does somebody get started in that industry and explain by what you mean by self-storage and having that business? Are you buying, you know, lockers or facilities themselves? Yeah. So we we buy the actual facilities themselves. And there's it's funny because a lot of people have this weird misnomer first about the industry, but also commercial real estate, like, well, I can't do that. Or, you know, um, that that's, just, that's commercial real estate. That's a huge thing. It's a big thing. And I'm like, in self storage, the vast majority are mom and pop owners that aren't doing anything, literally nothing. Um, and then two, you're talking about endless facilities that are worth less than most duplexes are in cities. And People don't realize that. I'm like, you can go buy a storage facility with 80 doors and it'll cost you less than buying a duplex in wherever, Salt Lake City, Boise, anywhere else, right? You know what I mean? It's people are like, oh, they don't, you know, they don't put that together. So first of all, the barriers of entry are not nearly as high as most people assume they are. And the second thing is it's the asset class that has the most upward 
uh, potential as far as revenue goes. There's more that we can do with lower cap X, meaning that if you're in real estate, in order to prove the value of the asset, that generally requires huge amounts of capital expenditures. I got to completely revamp these buildings. I've got, you know, I, I got to do all this stuff, right? Where in storage, we can actually improve the income and the value prop operationally, not by CapEx. That means you have less risk and it's also quicker turnaround. And we're not housing people, so the laws are favorable. We can kick people out, right? It's just they're putting junk on a cement ground. And storage is becoming more and more popular. And the reason is not because people are hoarders. That's actually a misnomer. It's funny because people say, oh, the only reason storage is around is because people are hoarders. And that's going to end. Since I've been in storage, we've had three major events that people thought would end self-storage. And it comes from simply misunderstanding why people use storage. The first uh, was in a recession, everybody's going to stop paying for storage units. And they're not going to use it. When in fact, actually, everybody just stopped paying for their homes. That was something that nobody saw coming. Uh, the second thing was millennials who do not use, they're not going to use storage. They are uh, minimalist. They aren't hoarders. They're not, the, they're not going to do that, right? Millennials are by far the largest generation of storage utilizers. They're way bigger than baby boomers and any other generation. And the reason is because it is not a hoarder aspect. It is an economic and it is a, um, actually it has to do with laws, meaning that when I grew up, if my dad wanted to have more space, he built a shop in the backyard, right? Um, today, you don't get to do that. You don't get to park your stuff out front. You, first of all, the cost of real estate is astronomical. So adding on 10 by 20, that is not something space. And we need to utilize it different. We can't afford that much space but also regulations. The regulations associated with land today are multiples, four or five times what they used to be in my lifetime. So now between HOAs and regulations, there's only so much you can actually do with your property, right? You can't have, you can't work on a car out front. You can't build add-ons. You can't do those things. So now people have to utilize space differently due to cost and regulations, which changed the way we use our space. That's why storage is actually a thing and popular. And that's also why it's not going away is because unless you think that regulations are just going to drop and they're going to let us do whatever we want with our land and prices of real estate are going to drop so low, nobody needs the space isn't an actual uh, cost prohibitor, then it's not going away, which those things aren't going to change. If those things changed, we'd be in a bad spot. Okay. So a couple of things there. You talked about capex and the low cost and all that stuff what about buying because i saw in your notes here as far as like purchasing like old kmarts for example and converting them into storage units i mean is that a huge capex expense is that different than some of the other ones like uh some of the other examples that you've given us yes absolutely and that's the thing i love about storage is you can go big so we bought office buildings and on freeway exits and downtowns, and we're turning those into storage facilities. We bought bankruptcy for Kmart's where we blew out the doors and we actually made drive like roads through the middle with actual pull-offs and things like that in them. And these are big, um, expensive, tens of millions of dollars uh, uh, assets. So you can go from small to big, you can scale and you can build a system that can scale within it. So we do everything from, Conversions, ground up, we're building ground up, 
you know, on one facility over 200,000 square feet. It's a $40 million build. Um, and so you can do that or you can go acquire, like I went and acquired some assets for a million and a half bucks that we could dramatically improve the revenue and then refinance, get all our money and profits out. And we still own the asset and it's cash flowing for us. So we have it now free and clear. That is awesome. Yeah. I'm telling you, pure genius right there, my friend. You definitely have a magic recipe. Now, one last topic I want to touch on before we end up wrapping up is finding opportunities in the impossible. Okay. Let's talk about that. I want to hear your take on finding those opportunities in the impossible. Oh, that's a great question because I think a lot of people think we're in it right now. 8% interest rates. People are looking at the commercial real estate market and they're like, it's impossible to play. Um, it's impossible to do this. And I, that, that's funny because what they don't understand is actually this is the best time. So what happened when you couldn't get debt and debt was too affordable to it? these mom and pop asset owners, guess what they had to do? They had to actually become the bank. So now we do things like seller financing where they're the bank. It's non-recourse. We set a simple interest. I put less down. That means that the average person can actually get into the game better than they could have two years ago. Why? Because the average person doesn't have to get bank approval now and they don't have to do recourse. They can put money down. It's non-recourse. They don't take the risk and they own the asset. And that seller is now the bank and you just pay them monthly fees. So the impossible, when things, when people see, think that it's impossible and it's the hardest time it's ever been, is actually generally, if you understand it, some of the best times to be in the game and get it. Wow. That's actually a great, uh, great thing. And it actually goes into, you know, one, I guess we have time for one last topic, because that was a little bit quicker than I thought it'd be, but the economic accessibility uh, factor of it. Do you want to discuss that a, a little bit more in detail? Yeah, absolutely. The, when we look at the overall uh, economies of storage, meaning you have entry points, exit points, um, exit points on storages used to be a little harder because when we were in the game, it wasn't like a very desired asset. That's totally changed, obviously, right? So entry points, it's just, you know, like all things, you need to do work. So if you want to buy a facility, you need to find the owners, you got to talk to the brokers, right? And then you got to come up with the down payments to make it happen. And so just like any real estate out there, right? If you don't have as much, you go to a smaller facility. Um, and then when you look at it, all you're doing is taking the asset and buying off the income. Meaning that's what I love about commercial real estate. It's not like houses, where the price of a house is dependent on who wants to live there, right? No, 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 no. With, with commercial real estate, it's only how much that makes. It's only an investment. So if that asset makes X amount, only people are only going to pay a certain amount. Whatever I pay for, I need to get a return on my money. And then I can look at that, how much it makes, and I can see, can I make that make more? And then I can buy it. I make it make more. And guess what happened? My value went way up. So I'm in control to a large portion of the value of that asset. And that's what I love about storage is how we, the economics of it, how we can get into it with little barriers of entry or low, we can improve the income, therefore improving our value. And we can also scale then as we grow. What type of investment do you need minimally to be able to get started? So I've seen people buy storage facilities with as little as $100,000. Um, I've seen people do it where they basically put no money into it with doing seller financing options. 
Um, now you can go as much as where you need $10 million down, right? I think if you're looking at an average across the United States, it's probably somewhere around a half a million dollars to maybe $1.3 million that you put down and that gets you a good size storage facility. That's it. I mean, you're talking now 30,000 net rentable square feet kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Hey, AJ, this was, uh, this was amazing, man. This was a great chat. Did you have fun? Thanks, dude. This was, I, I'm still in shock about yeah, our connection. GBS. This was I awesome. Know, right? and yeah. Blows yeah, me away. They, this was this was great and you just gave us like such a great education about uh storage unit businesses tech all that stuff and i would love nothing more than you to share how can people get in contact with you with your cedar creek capital how can they reach out to you personally linkedin whatever you want to share out Give your links, your information right now, my friend. So I have uh, the largest podcast in the industry as well as the best-selling book. So you can go to selfstorageincome.com and that's all storage things, educational related, including the podcast, YouTube channel, or you can go to Cedar Creek Capital and that is our investment company and firm. Um, if you Google AJ Osborne storage, you will be annoyed at how much pops up. So that should be easy. And also Instagram is a great way to look and, and find me, but I'm on all social media platforms. Uh, awesome. Everybody knows that watches this show right below the little blurb in the description. The very first link you're going to see is going to be the link out there to AJ Osborne. Please Check this out. If, if, you, if you couldn't tell by the end of this episode, this dude is a genius. And uh, again, you know, we're all about the three G's, personal growth, professional growth, business growth. And as part of that, it's alternative income streams, you know, ways to make money while you're doing other things as well. AJ plays right into that. AJ, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for sharing Thanks about for your personal me. story, man. Anytime, dude. I'm happy to talk openly about it. Thank you. Uh, perfect. Thank you. Take care, my friend. Cheers. Too. Wow. That was an incredible chat with AJ, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite This is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, share us out to your friends, colleagues, family, anywhere you dwell on the interwebs. I would love nothing more than AJ Osborne, Cedar Creek Capital, and Shark Bite Biz out there trending. Anyways, awesome stuff, AJ. Thank you for coming on, sharing your expertise, and please check out his podcast, his book, and his website. Link will be down below. Question of the day, what do you think of the self-storage industry? Does it bring up memories of uh, storage wars, or do you think of something else entirely, like AJ explained to us? Anyways, leave a comment down below on YouTube. If you want to be on the show, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. We are scheduling for season eight right now. Remember, if you want to join the channel, watch it on YouTube, $3 a month, you can become a baby shark. We need to thank our sponsors one more time, okay? If you're on QuickBooks, let's get you off. Let's break through any barriers preventing growth. Go to StellarOneConsulting.com, StellarOne.io, whichever website, or just reach out to me, and we're going to re uh, lead you in the right direction. Anyways, you all know this by now, but I'll say it once again, I'm Dave. David Strasser, this is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. 
You've just experienced Shark Bite Biz with Dave Strausser. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the show to help us spread the word about personal, professional, and business growth. Want to be on the show? Send an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Special shout out to our sponsor, an SAP and Acumatica Gold Partner Stellar Wand. Get off QuickBooks, automate businesses' processes, and have your business reach the stars. StellarOneConsulting.com or reach out to the show. Till next episode. 